You are listening to episode 32 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Hello, 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 and welcome to season two of the Take the Reins podcast. I am so excited to be here and back and diving back into all things personal growth for horse owners. I thoroughly enjoyed all of the interviews and all of the conversations that were generated within this podcast in season one, but I have to admit This season has me so pumped. It has me so excited to be able to dive in weekly with you because I am looking to be able to expand further and deeper into the personal growth world and relate that back to why you as a horse owner both need to know it but really should begin to prioritize it, dive into it a little further, investigate it, and see how it works for both you and your horses. When I think about personal growth and our relationship with our horses and why I began this podcast in the first place and why I began my coaching business, I keep going back to my own personal growth journey and how it wasn't necessarily fueled by my horsemanship, but the effects that I saw on my horsemanship and the relationship with my horses and then other relationships as a result of my focus on becoming the best version of myself. So I want to ensure this season that I'm doing justice to all the things that are going to be able to help you become not only the best version of you for you, but the best version of yourself for all of your relationships, specifically your equine partnerships. Now, the reason why I think that this is a fantastic opportunity for horse owners to be able to dive into all of these concepts is because no, yeah, we probably should be looking at becoming the best version of ourselves for ourselves. However, when we know that what we're looking to do is driven by our need to give back to our horse because they offer us so much that when it means that we're going to be creating a better relationship with them, a better connection with them, or showing up better for them, it just feels like it gives us that push that we need. It's the why that we need behind all the hard work that goes into 
growing as a person. So that being said, we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that when we start diving into concepts around personal growth, it is hard work. And oftentimes I think back to the fact that we tend to give up on ourselves. We give up on the things that get difficult. We give up on the things that we feel like we need to or should be changing about ourselves, but it's easy to give up because it feels like it's hard, which then we convince ourselves that, ah, well, this is just me or, you know, that's too difficult. Maybe I shouldn't do that. But if you think about the concept of working with your horse and the expectations you have of that horse and the things that you would like them to be offering you. So whether that be their ability to relax or their ability to do something on an athletic level for you that you would like, you understand when it comes to training them and changing them in some sort of way that it takes time and work. And I want you to look at your own growth the same way and with the same commitment as you do to working with an animal that you know you're bringing from the ground up. You know that you are harnessing their potential and you know that you want them to be able to think their way through from start to finish and not be continuing consistently or constantly being triggered to go into that fight or flight system, we want to make sure that we are committing just as highly to ourselves in becoming the best we can be as we do to sending our horses off for training or working with them personally on them becoming the best that we think they can be. One of my favorite things to do is really begin to look at how I would like my horse to be, how I would like them to be able to work through pressure, think through pressure, how I would like for them to learn how to relax, how I'd like for them to learn how to be confident, how I would like for them to learn how to be more focused, all of these things. And I begin to reflect on my own ability to do the very things that I'm expecting of my horse. So it gives me an opportunity to really personally reflect on where I am on a scale of, let's say, 1 to 10 on my ability to do the very things that I am putting training into my horse for. So for instance, how am I at maintaining a strong focus? Do I get distracted by things easily? Am I able to maintain presence and being present within a moment for a prolonged period of time? Am I able to be exactly what I'm expecting my horse to be when they are either with me or in the show pen or whatever that might be? Another might be our ability to relax. Am I able to work on my own emotional regulation the same way I'm expecting my horse to be able to do so? Am I able to remain relaxed while asking my horse to do something? Or can I relax while on the end of my lead rope and my horse is able to relax at the same time? Or am I able to stop and think my way through situations in order to not be triggered and consciously respond rather than react from a state of fear. When we begin to ask ourselves these questions and have this self-reflection, it allows to work with our horses from a more empathetic place and also a more informed place about 
why they're responding the way they are to us, why we're responding the way we are to them. And it also gives us an opportunity to see what we need to change within ourselves before we ever get to the barn or ever get to the arena. It gives us an opportunity to be able to do the work that we need to do on ourselves to meet our horses, not at 50-50, not meeting them at halfway, but meeting our horse at 100% so that we know that in our heart of hearts, we can ask the same of them because we are expecting the same of ourselves. Now, this conversation also leads into the fact that I do not believe that any of us have to be perfect. This is not a conversation saying you need to take yourself 100% to your horse and you're not allowed to react uh, emotionally and you're not allowed to have a bad day and you're not allowed to take your emotions out on your horse because that's unrealistic. Those things are all going to happen because we're human. However, it's when we use our personality as an excuse for why we're showing up the way we are for our animals and why we're showing up the way we are in other relationships and why we're not putting the effort in to become a better version of ourselves that we need to really reflect. So it really comes down to, are we doing the best that we can? And when we know better, are we doing better? And with that being said, it also means that we have to trust that we don't know everything and we are not perfect. And this is an opportunity. Our horses offer us an opportunity to be able to work in a direction of growth and be able to have that growth be reflected back to us and be shown exactly how we're changing energetically, how we're changing emotionally, how we're changing physically even because when we begin to change the things on the outside, our body starts to show those very things and our horses see something Um, that maybe they haven't seen from us before and that's a more congruent state. We're going to talk more about congruence and the importance of congruence especially with our horses as we dive deeper into this season Um, but that's really the important thing is that we are able to ask ourselves these questions, self-reflect and instead of looking to place blame or looking to play victim within our relationships, especially one with our horses, it's important that we're able to really use those reflections to be able to say, okay, this is what I'm expecting of my horse, but what am I expecting of myself? And where are areas that I could really use some work? So my goals for season two are to be bringing you opportunities to be able to self-reflect, bringing you interviews with people that are able to ask the questions and bring about the perspectives that allow you to be able to say, this is where I am right now. Where do I need to work in order to show up as a better contributor within the relationships in my life, whether it be with my equine partners or my husband or wife or partner or uh, children, whatever that might be, maybe it's work. So this being said, I do have some really fun interviews coming up as well, where we're going to be talking about some more lighthearted topics with some really fun people. 
Okay, so I'm going to switch gears for the rest of this episode because what I just spoke about is essentially going to bleed into all of the or a lot of the different episodes that you hear within season two. So I don't want to get too carried away there because it's one of those things that I could probably talk about for a really long time. So for this first episode, I really want to concentrate on the myths that we have been taught over the years about what it means to be a good rider. I'm sure as you listen to these five myths that I bring up that they're going to sound, at least one of them will sound familiar to you, especially if you started riding at a young age. The reason I want to speak about them right now, especially at the beginning of season two, is I think this is an important conversation to have as we move forward, thinking about What do we expect of ourselves and what do we expect of our horses and what are we going to be teaching the younger generations moving up into the equestrian space about what it means to be a quote unquote good rider. So myth number one that you may have heard and I definitely heard it growing up and I took this to heart is the good riders are the ones that will get on anything. I remember the pressure that this put on me as a young, well, probably as a older teenager and younger adult. There was a certain amount of pride that came with it because when I was asked to get on really challenging horses or really challenging ponies, it kind of was a little bit of an ego boost or a little, you know, pat on the back because someone had faith that I was going to be able to ride it out. It wasn't though that I was going to be able to work through the situation and really help this particular horse. Although I'm sure that if I spoke to my coach, that was probably part of it. But the message that I was getting was that, you know, I had a really good seat and that I'd be able to stick it out. And there was some pressure there because I wasn't always confident that I was going to be able to stick it out. And I didn't always stick it out. And so I was being you know, other kids are being taken off of these ponies and I was being put on it, on these ponies and, you know, my physical health. So, you know, a lot of the pains that I have now are probably as a result of that. And so when we tell our children or when we tell these young equestrians that the good riders are the ones that will get on anything, it takes away the opportunity for us to be able to teach those young people how to be able to access a horse's mind and make that horse safer to climb on and make sure that safety is a number one priority for us because you know you really cannot uh, continue to work those horses if you're hurt so it's important for us to be able to work with children through their fears absolutely and have them so that they understand what a safe horse looks like, how to get a horse into a safe thinking space, and then climb on from there. That is what we should be saying makes a good rider is that someone recognizes when the situation isn't safe and they change the way they're doing things in order for the horse to be able to feel more safe and that it's it becomes a situation that you're not you know feeling like you have a knot in your stomach because you're so stressed that somebody else came off that horse and you have to be the one that sticks it out. And if you can't do it, what reflection does that have on your abilities or what other people perceive your abilities are? The second myth that I kind of grew up 
feeling like I believed would be that as long as the horse was good while I was riding them, that was really all that mattered. So as long as I was able to get into the ring, get on them, and them complete the job to a satisfactory level, or whether that be at a horse show or at home, I go in the ring and they get the ribbon and that's fantastic. As long as they were performing while they were intact, that that is all that I needed to expect of them. When I changed my perspective on groundwork, or I wouldn't even say when I changed my perspective, when I gained education around groundwork, I started to see the potential that horses actually had to be absolutely incredible on the ground. So when we change that expectation on the ground, it does translate into tack as well. So we actually get an even better horse when we're in tack. And sometimes when we're not told that how they behave on the ground is a reflection of the different things that come out when they're intact, then we don't understand the correlation and we believe that, oh, well, this is good enough. And I think it's very important for us to be able to have this conversation with the youth today and say, you know, there's there's a, a new potential for you to look at for your horse. It's not all about how they behave intact. It's how they're with you all of the time. And if you can do less sooner, if you can work with these horses from, um, from the second that you see them, then you're not going to be getting into situations that make you feel unsafe. Similar to myth number one, where we're saying, oh my gosh, well, in order for me to prove that I'm a good rider, I guess I got to swing, swing a leg over this horse that I'm not even sure is safe to do so. Myth number three that I want to talk about is that groundwork is for Western horses only. Now I have to say, I'm seeing a shift in this perspective in our, in our horse world. And I absolutely love it. It's fantastic to see. So my husband and I actually went to our first predominantly English barn to do a trail clinic. I say trail clinic, but really it's a communication and horsemanship clinic using trail obstacles. So we were invited to go to this English barn and it was amazing to be able to see the change in perspective and the change of outlook on their horse's behaviors on the ground and then watching that confidence of those riders grow on the ground and see it translate into their work on in the tack as well. So, you know, that myth of groundwork is for Western horses. Again, I definitely see it changing, but it's one that I think we need to uh, encourage a little more and make sure that groundwork is something that we are teaching our youth and encouraging our youth to use because again my husband and I often say you know when and oh, I have to remember who this quote is by Mindy someone I believe I should check that out and I'll put it in the show notes but when you don't have a foundation where do you go when things go wrong and that's where what groundwork really comes down to is establishing that foundation that you can go back to when you need to work through issues or when you need to work through problems um, or just being able to lay that groundwork in order to teach concepts a little easier or more clearly to our horses. Now that actually leads into my fourth myth that I wanted to speak about because this myth was something that stopped me from doing 
what I felt was right once I did learn some of the groundwork. And I think this is very important for people to understand is that when things go wrong, this is the myth, is that getting off your horse when things get scary or bad is actually bad for the rider and the horse. And that is completely false. As long as when you get off of the horse, you do the work. You do the work to be able to communicate to the horse what you were looking for when you were in tack and to be able to both come down and relax and focus, connect their brain to their feet as well as your own, and then climb back on and work through it. Uh, you might even have someone on the ground. Um, so, you know, do things in stages. So let's say something's happening and your horse is spooking in a specific place and it's gotten to a point where it's not really just this little spook, it's turning into something a little bigger and you're unsure whether you can ride through it. If you've done the groundwork, hopping off and going back to that groundwork and being able to work through it in a way that you feel safe is an it's a great opportunity to be able to show that horse that you have the tools in your tool belt to be able to work through the problem with them and to show that you can think your way through this pressure as well. And then let's say you go to get back on and you're not 100% certain that um, that you can still work through this. You can actually have someone on the ground do the very thing that you were doing in your groundwork while you're on your horse and then you can remove that person. So it just allows you to have a little bit more of a foundation, a stronger foundation to rely on when things are not as easy as you'd like them to be. The last myth that I want to speak about is one that I grew up not being told, but kind of being shown by example of other people's reactions and responses to their outer environment, and especially at horse shows. And I feel like coming out of the English world and into the Western world, I was shown a little bit of a different perspective or a little bit of a different way to think about my responsibility as a horse owner. So this myth is that if your horse is scared of things, then you must control the environment rather than prepare the horse for the things that they're scared of and to be able to work through that situation. So in the past, I had one particular mare who was, I, I kind of, I put out the story that she was scared of specific colors. So I had it in my mind that she was scared of things that were white and she was scared of things that were red. She was also scared of things that were, would go above her head. Uh, and she was also scared of when people would stand next to standards, uh, especially if I was like in a show setting and everyone else is outside of the ring and let's say a photographer is in the arena with me. That was always a situation that caused major anxiety for her and I both. So rather than working through these specific situations, I attached the story to them. I made sure that everybody understood that please don't put your hands above her head. Don't sit above the rail. Um, I would make a conscious effort to try to make sure that if there were people in the arena with me while I was jumping, that they knew that they couldn't stand next to the jump as I was coming into the jump. So all of these things, rather than trying to work through the situation, I was desperate to try to control the environment in order to not trigger the fear 
response in my horse. So with this being said, I feel like it's a very important conversation to have with our youth about what is happening that is triggering fear in our horses and how do we work through that versus trying to control the environment because that's when you create really tense environments and really tense situations at things like shows where you're not going to be able to control everything and it's going to knock your confidence and up your anxiety because you're going to be able to see all of these things that are going to be potential triggers for you and your horse that you aren't going to be able to control. And I have seen a lot of people in a lot of situations, especially at horse shows, where they begin to get quite upset because A, B, C, or D are being done around the arena, whether it be an umbrella or kids running up and down or dogs and they're so worried about that triggering the horse they have no confidence in their horse's ability to be able to work through those situations or no confidence in their own ability to work through the situation with their horse so that's an opportunity for us to be able to go home and do the work set those situations up be able to work with our horse from an informed place rather than a place of fear so those are my five myths that I believe We need to be able to break away from and speak truth to, especially with the youth in the equestrian world, in order to be able to build our riders' confidence and ability, as well as keeping them safe. Are there any myths that you were brought up believing that now that you have changed your perspective within the horse world, maybe you have met a new riding coach, maybe you started watching some new videos online, you've been exposed to some different education within the horse world. Are there some myths that you believed as you were growing up about horses or about what it meant to be a good rider? And how has it helped you to dispel those myths? So what are they and how has it helped to really change your thinking around those particular ideas. Reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. If this is your first time listening, you can find me on Facebook at Nikki Porter Coaching as well as Instagram at Nikki Porter Coaching. And you can find me on TikTok. And I believe that's at Nikki Porter Coaching as well. And my website's www.nickyporter.ca but it is currently under construction stay tuned because that will be launched soon uh, within the next couple of weeks and there's going to be some exciting new things on there but I encourage you to touch base with me and continue this conversation because I think it's an interesting one and I'm excited and interested to hear what it is that you were taught that you now know differently and how you have been able to change the conversation with the youth that you deal with whether it is that you're a coach or you have your own children or even through conversations with other adults. Now this season I do have a fun new way to be able to chat back and forth with you so if you would like to be able to continue this conversation with me via text if you text the message at with the at sign TTR podcast so at TTR podcast to the number 
2237. It will add you to a list of people that receive a text from me each week giving reminders about the shows that are being released, maybe little tidbits about the different guests that we're going to have on and some other useful information, but it also allows for you to have the opportunity to text me back. So it opens up the dialogue between myself and you and we're able to really continue the conversations outside of the podcast episodes and the interviews. I'm really looking forward to this uh, this new edition for season two. So I hope you enjoyed the first episode of season two. I'm absolutely thrilled to be back and I will see you again on the next episode of the Take the Reins podcast. that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.